So Brandon, thank you so much for those wonderful songs this morning. I can't think of a better way to uh, kick off today's sermon than those last two songs that you led, and I love how you mix those together. So thank you so much. Um, welcome, guys. I'm so glad that you're all here this morning. Uh, it is a beautiful Sunday morning, and today is a very, very special day for me. Um, for those of you who may not know, my name is Aaron Stevens. I have the best job in the world. I am the youth minister here at our church. I get to work with these amazing young people. So I'm very excited to be here and share the word with you this morning. Um, every once in a while, I convince Ed to take a day off and sit back and relax and, uh, and, and let me have some stage time so I can share the word with you. So thanks to, uh, to Brother Ed for stepping back today and, uh, and letting me bring the word. Um, today's very special for me, and I'm going to take just a moment to brag on my son. Um, this was the first time that my son had read scripture in front of the congregation, and I may be a little biased. I think he did a fantastic job. So... <laughs> I am definitely your typical proud dad today, um, and for those of you who don't know or maybe you've never had the opportunity to do it, Ed makes it look really easy when he gets up here and he brings a message, and you know, Javon does the same. He makes it look super, super simple, but I can tell you guys, it's not as easy as it looks to get up here and to talk in front of everybody, so for my 12-year-old son to get up here and do it just made me super, super, super proud this morning. Um, also, I'm very excited today because we have some very special visitors with us. Uh, my parents are here all the way from Illinois. Um, so I'm very excited to have them here. Guys, if you haven't had a chance to introduce yourselves, please do so after service. They'd love to meet you guys. Unfortunately, they don't make it out this way very often. I believe the last time was when Lizzie and I got married, which has been five years ago. Um, so it's been a while, but we are just super excited to have them here. I'm excited to be able to preach in front of them this morning live. Um, they generally are watching on the live stream. So it's just a really exciting Sunday for me. Um, and I'm super excited to be up here with you guys today for just a few minutes. Um, as I was thinking about what I was going to preach about today, we just celebrated our Father's Day weekend here a couple weeks ago, and it really got me thinking, what are some of the important stories in my life, what are some of the important stories in the Bible, and what can I bring to the table to kind of wrap that all together? So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about the prodigal son. Now, I know, I know, you guys all know the story of the prodigal son. I I'm well aware of that, so I'm not going to sit here and rehash the entire story for you, but... What I hope to do this morning is to bring a few points together to you that maybe you haven't thought about before, maybe you didn't know, or maybe it's just a refresher for you because I think it's a super, super important story. It's one that we all learned probably very early on. I know I did. I kind of learned the basic story. So we're going to go a little bit deeper today. We're going to look into the prodigal son a little bit further today and see if we can really just kind of bring this home for you. So... The reason that I chose the prodigal son is this is a very, very personal story for me. There's a lot of things in the Bible that I can't relate to. I've never walked on water. I've tried. I failed miserably. Some of our kids at the pool party, they can almost walk on water because they're so fast. I tend to just sink. So I can't really relate to that. I've never faced a giant like David and Goliath. Not a physical giant anyway. So I can't necessarily relate to that story. I didn't get to witness the miracles of Christ, because I wasn't around during that time. Some of us might have been, but I wasn't around during that time. So the prodigal son is just a real story for me, and I believe when I get an opportunity to, to share the word with you, I want to talk to you about something that's important to me and something that's from the heart, and today we're going to do that. I went through a time in my life, and some of you caught me on the tail end of that time of my life, but I went through a time in my life where just like the prodigal son does in the story, I'd kind of wandered away. I wandered away from my family. I wandered away from God. And I went down kind of that same path that he went down. Now, I didn't get an inheritance. 
Maybe that's still to come. I don't know. But there was no money involved in my story. I had quite the opposite, quite frankly. When I left, I was pretty broke to begin with. But I went through that same kind of thing that the prodigal son did. Again, I'm not going to rehash the whole story because Carter did a great job of reading that for us this morning. But as we all kind of know, the son goes to the father and he says, hey, I want what's coming to me and I want it now. And he gets it. The father gives it to him. And we're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes of why the father gave him his inheritance at this time. But he basically said, hey, I want what's coming to me. I want it now. I don't want to wait. And then he took off and he left and he went and kind of did his own thing, decided he didn't need his family anymore and he went and did his own thing. And I kind of did that same thing in my life. And I kind of went my own way. And I left home, and I left my family, and quite frankly, I left God as well. And then some of you may remember about six years ago, maybe seven now, I stood right here on this very stage, and I asked for forgiveness from God, from my family, and from my church. And for those of you that remember, it wasn't a pretty sight because I'm quite certain that I was shaking, and I know for a fact that I had tears in my eyes, because it's not always easy to come back. It's not always easy to admit that you've made a mistake. And that's exactly the story of the prodigal son, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So if you want to follow along in the text, we're not going to read the scripture again, but it's in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to talk about the big idea. Now, for those of you who have heard me preach before, you know that I like to give you the big idea. And that is kind of the main theme of what we're going to be talking about today. It's kind of that thing that like, if you remember this and you don't remember anything else, then you still took something away from the lesson. Or if you're really tired this morning, if you just get this, you can go ahead and take your nap and we'll wake you up a little bit here at the end. So the big idea for today is that God is more than happy to receive sinners with forgiveness, love, compassion, grace, and the full rights of children if we return to him in sincerity. And we're going to talk through this a little bit more as we go, and you'll see how this all kind of ties together here by the end. But this is kind of the big idea of our lesson. And this is, again, is the one takeaway that if you don't take anything else away from today, this is what I want you to take away. So let's just briefly recap the three main characters of our story, right? We've got the prodigal son who we just kind of talked about. He's the one that said, hey, give me, give me what's coming to me. I'm out of here. And he took off and he left. There's also the older brother. So for those of you who know the story well, you know that the older brother was involved as well. And he was the one that kind of stayed behind and tended to the estate and served his father, didn't ask for his money right up front, and kind of did the right thing and stayed the course. And then we've got the loving father. And that's what our focus is going to be today. We're going to focus on the father, his actions, and what those mean to us today. So... Let's set the scene a little bit. For those of you who who maybe are Bible scholars, you probably already know this, but there's actually three parables that are told in Luke. There's the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and then there's the prodigal son. And they're all this whole concept of lost and found. It's all about things that were lost and then they were found again. Now, to give you the backstory, the reason that he tells these stories is because he is being criticized for eating with sinners. And again, we could do a whole other lesson on that. But Jesus is being criticized for eating with sinners, so he tells these parables in order to explain kind of his actions and and why he is eating with sinners, because he is looking for those lost sheep so that he can bring them back to the Father. So we're going to focus again on the prodigal son today, and let's set the scene a little bit. So for those of you who may not know, there's a couple things at play here. 
So there's two takeaways from the prodigal son. The first is that it was really designed to be a story about the Gentiles who had moved away from God and kind of went their own way and had kind of forsaken him, which would be the prodigal son. And then there was the Jews who had continued on the path and done the right thing. However, just like the older brother in this story, they had become prideful and they had become self-righteous and they had become above sin just like the older brother in our story. And we could do a whole other lesson on the older brother because I, I find that part of the story fascinating that he almost felt like, hey, my brother screwed up and I'm perfect and I've done nothing wrong. So the Jews and the Gentiles play into this. And then the second one is, and this is the one that kind of relates to us today and this is going to be our focus today. But the second one is the son who was lost and then was found. So there's really two meanings to the prodigal son, and I'm sure some of you probably were already aware of that. But just so you understand the backstory, the way Jewish law was set up at this time is that a father was not to wait for his son. Okay, And that's the part a lot of people miss in this story is at this time, Jewish law said that if your son goes away, he's done. He's no longer your son. And I think that's part of the fascinating part about Jesus telling this parable is at this time, this is not how they would have been treated. If a son were to leave, he would not have been welcomed home by the father. He would not have been accepted as a child of the father. He would have been treated as a servant. And as we read earlier, when he came back to the father, he was coming back to say, hey, I don't deserve to be treated as your son. I deserve to be treated as your servant. And that's why, because the law at that time said he should be treated as a servant, not as a child of the father, which makes this story all that more important to us, the fact that he did treat him as a son. The division of wealth. So they divided up the goods, right? And to make it simple, the father actually divided both of the sons up with their inheritance. So the older brother would have gotten two-thirds, and the younger brother would have gotten a third, because that's the way the law was, the, the law was set up. That's the way things were done back then. Older brother gets two-thirds, younger brother gets a third. And in this case, he took his third, he went off to Vegas and did his thing, right? So, and then there's the family dynamics. So we've already kind of talked about the family dynamics. You got the younger brother, takes off, does his own thing. You got the older brother who simply feels like he's been slighted, right? And we kind of feel that same way sometimes, right? When we see others who are not doing what they should be doing, or when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe are in sin or have done things wrong, we start to get that kind of indignant thing, kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago, where, well, my sin isn't as bad as your sin type of a thing. And that's that mentality that we have to get out of, right? Because sin is sin. So the brother had that same thing. He felt like what his brother had done was way worse than anything that he had ever done. So it's important that we understand those family dynamics as we move into the father. So let's talk about the father. So why didn't he just tell his son no? And for those of you who are parents, you can probably relate to this a little bit, right? So the, the, the first inclination is, hey, just say no. And we could have avoided this entire situation, right? But just like what God does with us, sometimes we have to give them some rope, right? You give them a little bit of rope and see if they're going to hang themselves or not. And that's exactly what happens in our story. So in the story, we see that he wanted to teach him three lessons. And the first lesson was to be humble. He wanted to teach his son humility. He knew what was going to happen. He knew his son wasn't ready to take this money and go out and do his own thing. But he wanted to teach him humility. Right? Secondly... 
He wanted him to know that his actions have consequences. Does this ring true for any parents in the room? You ever let your kids make a mistake because you want them to feel those consequences so that hopefully they learn something from those consequences? Kids, your parents ever done that to you? I know they have. You can probably name five examples of times they've let you do something you know you shouldn't have done so that you would understand and feel those consequences. And then he also wanted to know that happiness doesn't lie in the things of the world, right? So he had all this money that he went out and he spent, and he had friends and he had people around him, right, because he had money. But the father wanted him to understand that that's not really what life is all about. That's not what's important in life, right? But it's easy even today. We live in Orange County, right? People here have a lot of money. Some people have a lot of money. I see some of these houses and some of the cars and things like that. But that's not where our joy comes in. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. That is not at all what I'm saying. But that's not really what's important in life. It's not about the big things, the big houses and the fancy cars, right? It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what the Father is modeling in this parable, is he wants him to understand that there's more to life than money. There's more to life than going out and doing your own thing. So he lets them go. Right? Just like God lets us make mistakes, right? Sometimes we do stupid things, right? We make our own mistakes, and then we think, God, why did this happen to me? Well, it happened because we made a poor choice or a poor decision. So just like how we do that, the father is letting his son make those same mistakes. He's going to let him do those things so that he can learn these lessons that hopefully he will take with him and learn later on. And see, that's the key. The key is not that he made the mistakes. The key is that he learned from the mistakes and he turned his life around. Now, thankfully, I was able to do that same thing with the help of my amazing wife and my family and my church family. I was able to turn my life around. And that's exactly what he's hoping that his son is going to glean from this. Quite frankly, in our story, both of them paid a high price, right? The father paid a high price because he let his son go to do something that he knew wasn't the right thing to do, that he knew was a mistake. And he divided up everything that he had and gave it to his children. The son paid an even higher price, right? Because of what he experienced. But we see in the end of the story that he kind of learned from his experience. So what we're going to focus on here this morning for just a few minutes is the actions of the father and what they meant. Because I know for me, when I read through this story, and I read through the different things that the father did as the son approached, I kind of take them at face value. So today we're going to dig into that just a little bit deeper, and we're going to take a look at what each of those actions actually meant from the father's perspective. So if you have a Bible, we're going to have a few verses that you're going to want to look at. There we go. All right. So the first thing that we see in our story is that when he came back, the father was filled with compassion, right? He had every right to be, oh, great, here he comes. Now he's gone out and blown all his money, made all these mistakes, and done all these stupid things, and made all these stupid choices. Now what does he want? He probably wants more money. He had every right to feel that way, right? Because his son basically turned his back on him and said, I don't need you anymore. So the father's probably thinking, great, here we go again. He probably wants more money, but he didn't right? He had compassion on his son, just like God has for us. He has compassion on us, even when we make mistakes. And we make mistakes, right? Because everybody sins. I sin, you sin, we all sin, right? That could be a cheer at a baseball game, I don't know, maybe. But we all sin, we all make mistakes, but he had compassion on him. 
And if we turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we read, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So we know that God has this compassion for us, right? Because we know that, that he is our father. He's our heavenly father, and he has compassion on us. And even though maybe sometimes we don't feel like our parents have compassion for us, trust me, they do. And we talk about this all the time during youth group, that sometimes our parents are hard on us, right? And sometimes they make decisions that we don't agree with, but it's out of their love for us. It's out of their compassion for us, just the same as it is with God. He has that same love and that same compassion for us. So the first thing he did, right, was he opened his arms and he welcomed him back, just like God welcomes us back when we make a mistake. The second thing he did was, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> no always figures, right? You wake up with a cold two days before you have to do public speaking. It never fails. Um, now, it, keep in mind, when he had compassion for him, it wasn't because he came back. It was because he was his son. It wasn't because he came back. It was because he was his son, Right? We are all children of God, and we have that same opportunity to come back to God. You'll have an opportunity to do that this morning if that's something that you need to do. But he welcomes us back as his children, not just because we want to come back. That's an important part, but because he's our father. Now, we also see that as we move forward in our story, we see that he ordered his servants to put the best robes on him, right? Now, face value, it seems like, well, yeah, he asked him to put the robes on him because he didn't have any clothes. But there's more to it than that because just like all of Jesus' parables, there's meaning behind everything that happens. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. So if you have your Bibles open, turn with me to Isaiah 61, verse 10. And it says, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoicing in my God. For he has clothed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So it was symbolic, right? It was symbolic. The father saying, I'm going to wrap you in the best robes because you've made your mistakes, but you're coming back to make this relationship right. So he didn't just clothe him because he was cold. He didn't clothe him because he didn't have clothes. It was symbolic of him clothing him in righteousness for this reunion that's taking place, just like when we have our reunion with the Father. So the next thing we see in our story is he asked him to put a ring on his finger. Now, again, face value, it seems like, oh, he's just giving him a little bling, right? Give him a little something fancy, something to show to the people. Hey, check out my rings, right? But that wasn't the case. He was giving him a ring to signify that he was a part of the family. Because remember what we talked about earlier, right? We talked about the fact that he wouldn't be treated as a family member. He would be treated as a servant. But that's not the case. He gave him a ring which signified that he was a member of the family, not a servant, and that would, again, kind of set him apart, right, from a servant. Because he, a servant wouldn't have a ring. He wouldn't have the bling, right? So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 1. Or you've got it right here on the screen, just for convenience, of course. 
It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So again, it's the fact that we are children of God. And in the story, when he gives him the ring, it's not just so that he has something fancy to wear on his finger. It's because he's saying, look, you are my child, and I'm welcoming you back. Again, just like God does for us. So as we move on through the story, we see that the next thing that happens, and this all kind of happens in one verse, but we're kind of splitting this up into, into little bits and pieces. It says that he ordered the servants to put sandals on his son's feet. Now, the significance in that is only a free man would wear sandals because in this time, the servants wouldn't have shoes on their feet. So again, he's not just fulfilling a physical need of the son. He's not just giving him shoes because he didn't have shoes. It's symbolic of him, again, saying, you're not a servant. You're my son. And again, only a free man would have had sandals. So it's super important that he did that. Again, it's not just filler. It's not just fluff of the story that he put sandals on his feet. There's a purpose behind everything. And I think that as we, as we get into Scripture and as we grow in our walk, we, we've got to learn to, to pick these things apart and to really look and dive deeper into the scriptures and not just take our stories at face value. We've got to look for these little things because all of these things have meaning in them. And that's, again, why we're digging a little bit deeper today. Now, this one is my personal favorite, where it talks about the fact that he ordered them, he ordered the servants to kill the fatted calf. So see, just like all of us, they liked barbecue back in the day. So see, barbecue isn't new. Barbecue's been around for years. Um, but this is my favorite part, right? Because he ordered him to kill the fatted calf, which means, hey, we're going to have us a barbecue. So again, he's not just fulfilling the physical needs, but it's all symbolic. So he asked them to kill the fatted calf, meaning that he's not going to spare anything for his son. Right? He didn't say, go get a scrawny calf. He didn't say, go get a chicken. We're not having chicken nuggets for dinner. He said, go kill basically the best of the best. Because we're having steak tonight, and it's going to be the best steak that I have. And again, it wasn't just filling that physical need. He's saying, look, I'm not sparing anything from you. You are my son, and I want the best for you. Just like our Heavenly Father absolutely wants the best for me and holds nothing back. Right? Our Heavenly Father holds nothing back from us, but we have to be willing to accept it. And we have to come to him in humbleness and sincerity in order to receive those things. John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably the most known Bible verse ever. Right? You see it on billboards. You see it on license plates. Tim Tebow wore it on his eye black during a football game, which for the record, it was Googled more times than like any other thing in the history of man because of that. So what seemed like a simple thing turned into like this huge thing where he was able to share the gospel with literally millions of people. But John 3.16, sometimes I think this verse has lost value for us. I think that because we see it so much and because we hear it quoted so much, we forget the true meaning behind it. It's almost become quote-unquote cliche. But John 3.16, he sent his only son to die for our sins. Right? Not because we deserved it, right? Not because we, he owed us anything, but because he loves us so much. 
Just like how the father in the story took the best calf, God sent his only son to die on our behalf. Let that sink in for a minute. He sent his own son to die on our behalf. And he sent it for a world in which a lot of people at that time didn't even believe in him. But yet he was still willing to do that for us. Again, not because we deserved it. We don't deserve it. To this day, we don't deserve it. But he loved us that much. And that's exactly what the Father does. So as you can see, the Father models God, which is exactly the whole point of this parable, is that he models God for us. He gives us that perfect picture of exactly what God will do for us if we'll be willing to come back to him in humbleness and sincerity and say, look, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Now, obviously, God knows you've made the mistakes, right? Because God is omniscient. He knows everything. But he wants you to come to him just like the son does in the story and say, look, God, I screwed up. I made a mistake. But I want to come back. And see, that's the thing. If you're sitting here today, it's not too late for us, right? Because we have an opportunity to come back. Because he sent his son to die on our behalf. We have that opportunity. We have that option. <coughs> Excuse me. So, we find the next, the next stage is after they, they have the barbecue, of course, is that he celebrated his son's return. His son came back in repentance and they celebrated. And in Luke 15, chapter 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, we always talk about when someone gets baptized that the angels are celebrating, that God is celebrating. Just like the, the, just like the father in our story celebrated his son coming home, God celebrates one person coming home, two people coming home, Three people coming home. A thousand people coming home. He celebrates that. He wants it more than anything. He, if you need to be right with God, he wants you to be right with him, and he wants you to admit what has happened and to come back to him. So again, just to kind of to wrap things up, we talked about the fact that this father loved his son so much he was willing to welcome him home. Just like God is willing to welcome us home, right? He showed this outstanding, undying love for him, just like we read in the Bible that our Heavenly Father has for us, that he wants you to come back, he wants you to come home. Because again, as we talked about earlier, the whole idea is that he wants to welcome you back with open arms, just like we just read about in our story. So if you would, go to the Father with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come together here today to just to really dive into your word and to learn another portion of your word. And we are just thankful that you love us so very much that you are willing to take us back when we make a mistake, that you are willing to love us unconditionally even when we don't deserve it. Heavenly Father, we just pray today that we will be in a right relationship with you, much like the son was at the end of our story today. 
And we just pray that if we're not in that right relationship with you, that you will give us the strength and the courage to make it right with you before we leave here today. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all that you blessed us with. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us, and we thank you so much for sending your Son. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we are going to have another song from Brandon. And we're going to extend the opportunity to you. Maybe you've been the prodigal son. Maybe you've walked away from God, and maybe you need to come back today and make that relationship right. He's ready. He's ready to welcome you with open arms. There's no reason to walk out the back door today without making that relationship right. Or maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe this is your first time of coming to the Father, but you're ready to take that next step in your faith to profess publicly that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to die on your behalf. And you want to take him on in baptism to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that for you. The baptistry is ready. It's even warm. Maybe. <laughs> but it's warm. So if you, haven't had that, if you haven't had that opportunity, if we can pray for you, if there's anything at all that we can do for you here this morning, we want to invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing. I'll never be the same again. I can never return. I close the door. I want